Ladies and gentlemen, and another warm welcome to the Fundamism Podcast. I'm your host, Paul J. Long, and we are brought to you, as always, by our friends over at Charlie Hustle. Not just known for the Kansas City heart, but all the quality apparel, and now they're doing something amazing. Uh, they are offering masks. So they have these beautiful masks uh, made uh, and, and ultimately distributed across first responders and whoever needs them. And if you swoop them up at charliehustle.com, they come in a three-pack. Uh, Charlie Hustle will actually donate a three-pack to individuals in need. Our esteemed guest is wearing one right now. So if you want to see what that looks like, well, you're going to have to go over to one of our social media outlets. So without further ado, our guest is someone very special in my life, somebody that I had the uh, blessing of crossing paths with years ago, one of the most genuine and uh, kind individuals I've ever met, a Kansas City staple, Ms. Jen Nuspik. What is good, Jen? Hey, everybody. Hi, Paul. I had to take my mask off. <laughs> I, was, I was sporting my Charlie Hustle Casey Hart mask, which I, one, love to have myself, but it's also been so much fun to buy masks. And I'm telling everyone, here's your early Christmas present. Mm-hmm. So that's been a lot of fun. Well, you're just reaffirming exactly what I what I just uh, introed as, as a kind individual that's always thinking of others. I uh, I need to step my game up, Jen, because I haven't got my KC mask yet. I am wearing my, my Charlie Hustle Welcome to Kansas shirt, though, today. Nice. Well, I'll uh, match you. I'm wearing my KC Hart uh, Charlie Hustle, just the, the true premise of what's happening in Kansas city is so much love. And, uh, of course our friends at Charlie hustle doing a lot of great work. For sure. Well, um, we actually had the opportunity to meet chase from Charlie hustle collectively together. You, of course, like you typically do, I, uh, I created a, an opportunity, uh, that I wasn't sure that you would bite on. And, uh, you came in in observation mode and you felt the energy of the room and immediately decided that it was, something that you want to be a part of. So we'll get to that a little uh, a little bit further down the path. But before we do, you know the deal. What do you do for fun, sister? Well, I love to travel and we'll be excited for when those days come again. I love to play golf. Um, I have four brothers. So I sports were definitely an integration of our childhood. Um, I love to have a glass of wine with family and friends. And as you know, and your beautiful wife knows, I love attending charity events. Yes. And you've attended your fair share. Also, I, I love the, the fact that you said, I like a glass of wine. <laughs> well, <laughs> I didn't say, I mean, it could be a glass of wine for the evening or maybe every 15 <laughs> minutes. I didn't provide the increments in time frame. Well, I did not know that you uh, enjoyed golf. Uh, how often do you play pre-C, PC, pre-COVID? Uh, and are you any good? Uh, of course, I'm going to say I'm good. My brother is a scratch golfer. You know, he played uh, for Benedictine and actually was on the Nike tour. Um, so I had a great golf coach. I don't get to play nearly as often as I would like. And they're generally related to a charity event. So I love a good scramble, uh, especially when I'm challenged with um, playing for, from the 
guys tease. So mm-hmm. I got to step up my game. Well, uh, I see no reason at all while, uh, why you, Chase, uh, maybe Scott Wilson and myself shouldn't be on a team in the near future. We are going to have a lot of fun. Now, full disclosure, uh, you said, I don't see any reason why I would say I'm not good. I don't know many people that would cop to actually being good at golf. What they do is they downplay their skill set. Then I go out with them. They dominate me by 10, 15 strokes. And then they realize what not good actually means. So uh, I appreciate your confidence is what I'm saying. (laughs) She gave us the shoulder shrug. Jen, um, you and I cross paths, uh, as you do a lot with individuals, in a uh, charity or philanthropic space. Uh, I was asked to dance for the BMA Foundation, the Brian M. Anselmo Foundation, which uh, supports many different uh, 501c3s or foundations in the Kansas City community. And I believe at the time you were on the board. Is that accurate? Yes. Awesome. So the event was Dancing with the Stars, and I got the opportunity to meet you. And you were actually coordinating uh, a lot of the the nuances and the details in the day, which is a skill set that I don't have and I greatly admire. But I remember meeting you. And first of all, your energy just, um, it, it just filled the room. I mean, you have a smile, obviously, that, uh, that connects with just about everybody. But when you have a job to do, you do the damn thing. I mean, you are freaking assertive and you here, you there, you pick up that. And I remember like, yeah, I need more of that in my life. So how did you get connected with the BMA Foundation? It's actually, it's a really cool story. I um, was in Mrs. Anselmo's first class that she was, she was a teacher at St. Regis grade school. That's where I attended. And so as I always joke with her and the family, I always say that wasn't too long ago. And when she talks about, it's been a 30 year run at St. Regis, I'm like, Oh, that tells me how old I am. (laughs) Um, so, and then she taught all of my siblings I'm the oldest of six. And so she was very involved in our lives. She was a teacher that wasn't just um, showing up for class every day. She was involved in our family and really was a, a, an extended second mother to us. And you go through the years of staying in touch with her and Jerry and, um, and of course, Brian and their girls. And um, when they uh, lost Brian, it was, you know, just an even more connection and hearing how uh, Jerry and Mary Ellen wanted to do something in honor of Brian. And ultimately, they built the foundation of supporting what Brian believed in. And that was really around supporting children and animals. And fast forward 12 years later, here we are with a wildly successful Dancing with the Stars, a golf tournament, and supporting 10 major charities in Kansas City. Is, uh, obviously something that I care a great deal about, and you very well know, Noah's Bandage Project, um, which was actually the, the meeting that I asked you to come to. Uh, Noah's Bandage Project is not only a benefactor of the BMA Foundation and all the awesome work that they do, but they are also the benefactor of Vali Lama, our celebrity pickleball tournament. So knowing your skill set and how strong you are at coordinating and, and, and leveraging individual strengths and identifying gaps, uh, I thought you would be the perfect uh, add-on to our, uh, 
our board of Bali Lama, and here we are today. So uh, revisit several years ago when we got the opportunity to meet through the uh, Dancing with the Stars event. What an amazing, amazing experience. So from what I know about you, and I don't do a ton of research, and all I know about you, Jen, of course, is what you share with me. Um, you danced uh, at one point in time for the Dancing with the Stars event. I did. did I <laughs> So I danced. I did a Michael Jackson montage. Uh, you know, I'm an 80s girl. I loved Michael Jackson. Um, I, uh, growing up was a competitive gymnast and thankfully we were required to take, um, dance in a pretty intensive, um, complement to our gymnastics training. So, and then I eventually taught dance. And so when Jerry asked me to do dancing with the stars, I was excited, but really had a lot of trepidation because, I do fundraising for a living, which is a component of this and a big one at that. And I had a dance background. So that competitive nature just like fueled me like I have to win at both. I mean, it's, it's game on. And so we had an awesome year. I have what I would call a collective group of people in that year I danced with. I remain very close with and what we call a class which I believe you were a class a year later, um, two years later. And, you know, what a show you did. I mean, I still remember you doing your huge jump over the chair, sliding into the crowd, and mm-hmm. everyone was off their feet. So I know and you know what a blast it is and the incredible support of raising a lot of money for these charities. So it was a lot of fun. Well, um, you just did what you always do very masterfully as you take the attention uh, and, and um, awesome things that you're doing, and then you shift that attention on somebody else to bestow a little kindness. Um, I greatly appreciate your kind words. Uh, I did not get first uh, in dancing or fundraising, but I like to say that I won in experience. So how did you do? Did you actually, did you win? I... Did not win in the fundraising. So that was, um, boy, there was some competition that year. Um, But yes, I humbly accepted first place with my dance partner, Raphael. So that was a lot of fun. And he is an amazing gentleman. Um, That experience, so as you know, uh, and you, you do this often as well, we have the opportunity to talk with a lot of folks in large group gatherings a lot. Um, and you are so eloquent and you do it so often that I don't know if you feel it or not, it doesn't appear uh, that you have any anxiousness or trepidation in what you're saying or how you're saying it, getting up there on stage. Um, I did feel that a little bit when we had a press conference recently and we talked a lot about it. It was more about preparation and understanding what you're going to say and where you're going to go. But all that to say that you do it so often, I do it so often. I don't really feel that anxiousness anymore. I feel like a I feel like an, a, a giddy excitement about where where is the conversation going to go, and I would really liken it to this podcast because uh, I don't have any idea where this conversation is going to go. I literally go where the guest wants to go. We have some ideas of uh, of content that that the guest hopefully wants to convey to the masses, but ultimately it's just an informal conversation, which is the whole point of fundamentalism. So that said, 
when we got the opportunity, I'll speak exclusively for myself, when I got the opportunity to do the Dancing with the Stars event, and just to backtrack a little bit, if, if people aren't aware of the concept, the Dancing with the Stars event is, is literally, if you know the show, is it ABC? Yes. Uh, ABC's Dancing with the Stars. They have uh, stars like uh, Tony Dovolani and uh, Sharna, what's Sharna's last name? Burgess. Burgess. And so they have all these amazing, the local one that's absolutely amazing from Kansas City. What's her name? Um, It'll come to you. Don't worry about it. It'll come to me. Ultimately, uh, these individuals all come together and they're the judges. So you have professional dancers as the judges for these amateurs uh, like myself that have never danced before or like Jim that have a a formal gymnast training or like the individuals that I competed against that actually owned a dance studio. So I felt like the deck was stacked against me. Uh, but nevertheless, that's my narrative that I'm, that I'm stating. I had never been as nervous as I was that day going up there in front of that group, a thousand plus people dancing. Um, and basically the reason why I was so uncomfortable was because it wasn't, it wasn't my skill set. It wasn't something that I was, that I was an expert in doing. It wasn't, it wasn't comfortable for me. And so I remember feeling sick. And uh, I remember I met another young lady backstage for the first time, second time after our opening dinner. And she was visibly um, shaken, uh, not certain that she could make it. And I recall getting an opportunity to talk to her. And in the true spirit of fundamentalism, brain pattern interrupts, focus on something else. I start chatting with her and helping her through her anxiety and all of a sudden mine dissipates. So did you have that same level of anxiousness and anxiety and how did you cope? I did. I, I, you know, I, it's a thousand people and you're representing charities. You are, um, you've got a pretty big fan base. I know you did. And I have to say I did as well. I mean, my, family and friends came out of the woodwork to support the event. And of course you've got, you know, three, four and five superstars from Los Angeles, the actual show coming in and they're judging you. And so the intensity is there. Um, I probably could have used some fundamism right before I went on stage for sure. Um, But I had to kind of dig deep Um, as a competitive gymnast there were a couple of nuances I had, you know, before you get up and compete. Um, my favorite event was Balance Beam, but it was also the one that shook my nerves the most. Um, and so I had to make sure I kind of did my little, um, you can call them quirks or things I had to do before every competition. Um, I would take two deep breaths. <clears throat> I would take one in squish all the butterflies and blow them out. And then I had to do a second one because there was always one lingering. I don't know where that came from, but it certainly worked. And obviously as an adult now, I can look back and say it was probably the best thing I could do because we all know breathing certainly brings us to a calmer level, especially for two people like you and I. I mean, we live on a hyped, high energy. I'm a thousand BTUs all the time. And, um, so, and sometimes that nervous energy can get in the way of us and especially an event like BMA's Dancing with the Stars. So I had to kind of dig deep and back to history and calming those nerves and going, 
by the way, this is something bigger than me. And so go out and you better have fun at the end of this. And if you didn't, then shame on myself. Yes. And we have a memorable moment forever and ever as a result. I mean, to this day, that is one of my proudest moments. Um, I didn't win. I had an absolute blast. Uh, Raised $20,000 for Noah's Bandage Project completely on my own. Uh, I know that you did as effective, if not more effective. No, no, you beat me. You would have beat me in fundraising. I was just right behind you. Nevertheless, I mean, that the... The work that that takes, I mean, you don't, you're, you're not out there leverage. It's all you, it's all on your shoulders. And so that was a really gratifying moment. And I, I still have that trophy that I, that I hold very near and dear to my KC heart downstairs in the basement. So, um, that is just one, just one 501c3 or foundation that you've played a role in. And obviously what connected us, uh, you have been employed, uh, by Hope House. You've done work with the KC heart foundation, uh, you're working with Vali Lama and Noah's Bandage Project and all of these are kind of side hustles and whatnot. What led you, when you talk about the balance beam uh, growing up, how did you get to this place? Like balancing uh, everything that you had in life, how did you get to a place where you were going to throw your energy into the philanthropic space? That's a really good question. I, I really... When I've been asked this before, I, I give it two distinct reasons. And one is my mom. She ran a tight ship. And the other is, I think, gymnastics. It's a very disciplined sport. You know, we were in the gym a good 30 hours a week. And this is not a seasonal uh, sport. It's year-round. And outside of a couple holidays, you're in the gym training. So I think there was... The, the the discipline at home for sure. And then the sport um, has led to some of the things that I've done. And coming out of college, I, um, I wanted to own my own business. I think my mom raised a, a group of uh, entrepreneurs and um, I jumped out of the gate and opened my own gymnastics and dance center and loved every bit of those 10 years. Um, it was not easy and it took a lot of discipline, a lot of sacrifice and probably some of my mom and some of my training, um, applied to it. And then I sold the business and that entrepreneurial spirit still resided in me and ultimately led me to how can I take what I learned, the good, the bad, and the ugly and apply it to startup businesses, small businesses, And naturally, there was this kind of organic gravitation towards nonprofits. And um, ultimately, I ended up consulting nonprofits for about seven years on fundraising, operational management, and of course, uh, charity events to raise big money. So, and here we are. (laughs) What has been one of your most... um memorable experiences in, in partnering with an organization, albeit an individual that you met uh, through your journey and, and were able to help through, you know, Hope House or BMA or whatever it may be, uh, or an experience that just touched you so deeply that it, it ultimately impacted the way that you experience life? Um, 
There's not really a deep, long story to this one. Um, Hope House is a domestic violence agency, and I am not in direct services. So I am not um, working with clients and their families. But on occasion, as we have emergency shelters at both of our campuses, um, I had the opportunity to be giving a tour um, to a donor. And it was a husband and wife, and we were walking through our therapy building. And one of the little guys, I'm going to guess, was like three or four. And he was with his big brother, who was like, I'm going to guess nine. And the little one just walked up to me and grabbed my hand and just held on. Nothing was said. Nothing was exchanged. He just wanted to hold my hand. And it was so symbolic to me that there is just one thing that everyone in the world needs, and that is that love. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's really touched me that whether it's domestic violence or um, child abuse, it is, um, I feel personally, I have a job to do in trying to help those kids find a way to not only break the environment they're being raised in, but to know they're loved and they have so much opportunity. And um, so that's probably one of the biggest stamps on my heart and mind as I, as I do work every day, whether that's volunteering my time or working inside an agency like Hope House. And I would add in connecting with individuals. Um, so what I just heard you say is that there's one thing in your opinion that everybody could use more of, and that's love. And I think anybody that has ever connected with Jen Nuspik throughout the years or has had the opportunity to interact or whatever it may be, feels as though when you're talking um, or I have the opportunity to talk to you or Chase or Melissa Long or Deb or Scott Wilson or anybody for that Bob Fesco, uh, we're the only individual in the room to you uh, when you're talking. And I truly look at you as uh, what I would call and some call in the networking space as a, a super connector. So you had the opportunity recently to connect with Joel Goldberg, uh, who does a keynote from time to time on how to effectively network. And a lot of individuals are, are looking for tidbits and tips on, on how to network. How do I put myself out there? How do I meet the right people? And um, oftentimes it's... it's uh, a friend of a friend uh, or connecting with the right individual who knows uh, the, the right individual. You are literally an individual that I feel is connected to everyone in Kansas City, um, albeit uh, you know somebody directly that you've met or impacted or somebody that's just a phone call or an introduction away. Um, and of course, uh, you use it sparingly. Like you, you don't ever take advantage of the relationships that you've helped facilitate or create so much so that we had an interaction um, after our first Dalai Lama meeting and you got the opportunity to meet Chase and the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. And you, of course, are on the board for the Tyron Matthew Foundation. Matthew Foundation and uh, you wanted to put together a nice little gift basket. And so one of your thoughts was maybe something from Charlie Hustle. And uh, you reached out and you're like, Paul, I mean, gosh, dang. <laughs> so funny. Okay, can I finish the story? Yes. This, okay. <clears throat> so, yes, I um, am on the board for Tyron's Foundation, 
And he just, I mean, we talk about what an incredible guy this is. And yes, I'm going to finish the story, but I think this is a perfect opportunity to talk about what what kind of guy this is, what kind of guy he is. So our first board meeting last year, he um, and his fiance, Sydney, show up for the meeting. Didn't expect that, quite frankly. Um, And as everyone was taking their seats, he walked around to each one of us and said, hi, I'm Tyron Matthew. This is my fiance, Sydney. Thank you for coming. And asked, you know, I'm Jen Nusbeck. And little did I know how much we were taking for granted. Not only the handshaking we're not going to be able to do anymore, but um, we were on the heels of a Lombardi gold holding right there, right? Um, But it was when we sat down, a rep for Tyron said, hey, tell them a little bit about you. And he said, no, they know me. I want to learn more about them. Mm. And we spent the better part of the first hour of the meeting. And he, we didn't just say our name and who, we're, who we were with. He was asking questions, you know, thought-provoking questions. Like he, and he looked you in the eye and it felt so sincere. And that's when I went, okay. Uh, I like this kid. This kid is the real deal. And um, so going back to how we and you and I talked about this gift before the Super Bowl is um, the board wanted to do something because he's been giving back since literally his suitcase suitcases dropped in Kansas City. And we thought, let's show some love, some Kansas City love and put a Charlie Hustle package together for not only himself, but his fiance and his two little ones. So I called Paul and said, Hey, do you think maybe I could, you know, put a package together and get it shipped to Tyron's? We, we, we absolutely, you know, the board was throwing money and Venmo together. And, um, you said, let's make it happen. Collectively, the package with the support of you and Charlie Hustle, it was far more than just a couple of t-shirts. You're leaving, you're leaving an important aspect of this discussion out. It took you literally seven minutes to get to the ask. Uh, You are so uncomfortable asking people for help or leveraging your network that you are literally just skating around. Mind you, you were going to pay the whole time. That was the thing. Like, I don't even know what you were asking. Like, you weren't even asking me, hey, Paul, can you connect me to a vendor who I will pay for valuable objects? Uh, yes, I can. It's called CharlieHustle.com. But oh, that's, not, that's not how that went down. But you, yeah. you're, you're really showcasing my point in that people are asking all the time, and Joel does the keynote, and how to network effectively. You embody it. You don't meet people with the expectation uh, that this person is going to benefit you or what, what can I take or what can this individual give me that's going to help move me forward? You are an individual like you just shared about Tyron who is genuinely interested in others. And that interest lies solely in the aspect of a people need more love and B you're curious, like you love people. And so not only do people need love, but you love People And so as a result, you're just in it whenever there's a relationship or whenever you network with folks, 
There's nobody more important in the room. My question to you, have you always been that way? Is that an innate personality trait or is that something that you found over the years? Yeah, I, I, I think that it maybe is innately in me. Um, I hope that my experiences and albeit not always positive, have honed a skill. Um, and certainly we were raised um, by a mother that said, don't come with ulterior motives. Don't come in being the victim. And you know, lastly, don't let it be self-serving. Um, and I think that um, you know, t- time can be wisdom, both positive or ne- you know, positive or negative. But I I hope that um, some tragedy in my life, um, bad decisions, um, you take from that, and you find a courage to step out and say, I got to make myself a little vulnerable um, because, I mean, Paul, part of my job is asking. I ask for money. And not only through the agency I work for um, to keep them operating and do the work that they do, but the the several charity boards I serve on, um, there's a need and we need to meet that. So I have to be brave in asking. So you're teaching me something right now is that my seven minutes needs to be honed down to maybe a two. (laughs) You know what, though? I think when you're asking for money or when you're asking to benefit a charity, uh, it's different. I think uh, from my experience with you, when you get uncomfortable is when you feel as though uh, you're asking things that that are for you to help other people that that aren't necessarily a monetary thing, but you need help. And uh, and that's an admirable trait. I hope that you take that. Like That's why people love hanging around you. That's why I, I consider you to be a lifer in my life. Um, you've made an influence on me and an impact on me as you have many others. You mentioned the impact that your mom has played on you in life growing up and that structure that you had. Are there any other leaders or individuals in your life that, that have helped kind of shape your, um, your, your influence or your perspective? I, I think there's, you know, an abundance of them. I, I had several gymnastics coaches. Um, I learned both, you know, some positive things um, to apply in life and some negatives. And you have to have both. Um, it's, I think that that was a big part of it. Um, I think my brothers influenced me incredible. They pushed me hard. I'm the oldest of six kids. Um, and they do, they're, they're wonderful husbands. They're wonderful fathers. And, um, there, there's no, um, egos in the room, so to speak, when you've got that many kids and opinions. And I think coming down to some, some leadership today in my life, um, a, a good friend of mine, um, she is, uh, the former chief of staff of Sly James, uh, our former Kansas city mayor. And I re- I went to her with a challenge I had. I have a, a I had a big conflict with another female in the nonprofit space. And um, she said, you know what? Don't try to go back and adjust what this lady, this gal is thinking or trying to do. You go forward and be a good mentor and try to step into a place of what um, Madeline Albright says, 
there's a special place in hell for women that don't support women. And so I literally kind of grew two inches and went leaping out of our happy hour going, that's it. Instead, instead of getting sucked into the woe is me and I can't believe you know, we're having this conversation with this, what I would call kind of a bully lady, it was step out of that and step forward and, and not you know, miserate behind you and don't be that person. Be the, the brave hero that other women need. And so I, I do give her a lot of accolades when it goes back, when it comes back to mentors. They don't have to be dramatic. It could just be a small little something like that. And uh, so there's a lot of them. And then, of course, as you know, Paul, my mother is, she's earned her sainthood in heaven um, and uh, probably five times or six times over, actually. Um, And uh, I will forever be indebted to maybe some of the good in me is all her. So I think that um, I can't speak for, but uh, if she feels, uh, you know, as a mother, I know that she feels 10 times the pride uh, and love for you that I do, uh, if not a million times more. So um, she has created an amazing individual. And so as such, I am certain that she was and demonstrated those same, if not better, uh, in your opinion, uh, skill sets. So um, thank you for sharing that. I know that you're an individual that gravitates a lot towards positivity um, because of some of the things that you've seen in life. You mentioned tragedy earlier. Uh, as a result of some of the positive uh, stuff that you gravitate towards, uh, you love quotes and you love mantras. You just quoted Madeline Albright. Is there any any others that that really resonate with you? You know, uh, yeah, I think that there's uh, probably you know um, I just have a, a strong affinity for Brene Brown. You and you've heard you've heard that from me for sure. Um, that courage, um, does not exist at all without vulnerability. Um, you know, Paul, I'll tell you, uh, as, uh, you and I talked, um, a while back, I, um, am a sexual assault, um, by, as we refer to him as a DNA donor. And I don't shy away from talking about that. It is a tough subject. And I hope that my vulnerability and hopefully courage each time I talk about it, if one little girl like myself um, hears and knows that there are people out there, that there is support mechanisms and people will believe them and support them, I, I think that we owe that back to society um, to, to put our arms around kids and give them a step um, where they can get out of it. And now when I say out of it, I don't mean just the abuse. It is the victim mentality. And it, was, it wasn't until after college that I really realized, wow, I can go one of two directions. And I can say, you know, this abuse happened to me. Therefore, I have the excuse to be a, um, this is where you might bleep it out. Um, oh, no. I, you know, I could choose to be a shit bag 
and um, make really bad decisions and always fall back to, well, I'm doing this because this happened to me. Or I can choose to kind of be um, a, a crusader of this happened to me, therefore I am doing something good. You, uh, Uh, I don't know. That's a whole chapter in the fundamentalism book, the victim versus victim mentality, which you know very well because you recently, uh, purchased, uh, 35 copies yourself for, uh, which still reside in my home, uh, ready to go. So we need to remedy that. Um, you know, one thing that, uh, you said that is just, you know, like sirens coming out at me is um, your affinity for vulnerability and Brene Brown. And, you know, that's one thing that the Tyron uh, has that has made him fascinating to so many people is his willingness to talk about his struggles and uh, his affection for life as a result of all the crap that he went through. And I had the opportunity to interview Kendall Gammon uh, a couple of days ago, and, and this topic came up of uh, you know victim versus victor and and uh, suicidal thoughts and how you see somebody and you believe that they have it all together. And the conversation really went down the path that, as you very well know, there's two individuals. There's the the individual that you are, and there's the individual that you reveal yourself to be. And so you and I had an awesome conversation about two weeks ago. We were talking about mental illness and how for one reason or the other, it's kind of faux pas to ask for help. It's not, but that's what we've convinced ourselves. Well, I don't want to let people know that I have problems. I don't want to let people know that uh, I had this horrendous moment in my life that I experienced tragedy, just like everybody has. And I want, one of my goals is to find a way to make asking for help cool. Like if you're not doing it, you're on the outside looking in because the reality is everybody's got something that they're going through. And I think one of the most admirable traits in the whole entire world is vulnerability because I don't care about the people on IG or the people in the community that have the nice cars or the people that are always dressed to the nines and tell you all the people that they know. I don't give a shit about them. I care about the people like the Jen Nuspix and the the Scott Wilsons and the Chase that say, here I am, here are all my warts, take me or leave me, and I'll take them every single time. So all of that to say that um, in our conversation weeks ago, you had mentioned this sexual abuse, and you had said that there was a definitive moment um, that kind of was exposed to you that helped you get the help that you needed. And it was a, it was an individual place in your life. Would you expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's definitely, I mean, as if it happened yesterday, it is uh, an imprint in my mind. And thankfully it's a really positive one. I know exactly where I was, what I was doing. I happened to be in town for, um, I was coaching gymnastics at the time And I was at my hotel room and in the background was this reality, maybe slash TV show. I wasn't quite sure. Happened to be Jerry Springer. Didn't know who he was at the time, but I kept hearing this gal in the background that was on a show saying, you know, I was abused by my father. He raped me. And that's why I am prostituting today. And 
Therefore, you know, I don't need to change my lifestyle because that's what happened to me. And really just, um, I wanted to jump in the TV and hug her and hold her and say, God, there is a way out of this. But for me, that was the moment, pivotal moment where I went, that won't be me. That won't be me not being a prostitute, uh, but just anything that would be in putting myself in harm's way, um, treating people terribly, taking advantage of people because something very terrible and tragic happened to me. And I also, at the time, my siblings were still very young and needed to set an example and felt like that was the time to say to my college roommate, I'm ready to talk about it. And um, with the rally of my family and friends is, uh, and quite frankly, I still talk about it with some of them. I still have a therapist I talk to. There are triggers every day. It doesn't mean it goes away because I have stepped on the victor side. Um, I still cry about things. I am sentiment, um, not sentimental. I am emotionally charged um, when I hear some of the difficult stories and one of, I'm the fixer. I'm, I want to jump back into that TV and help the new victim and, and their families. And for me, um, I, I do have challenges and struggles, but if I stay closed and not ask for help in that sense, then I could easily fall back into being a victim and um, it would be a dark place. So I, I owe that to a lot of family and friends and, and support. And, you know, Paul, we talked about the, the mental illness of being in this COVID crisis and all of those that aren't able to share and get out and talk about it. And I loved the energy and positive side of putting it out there. This isn't a stigma of asking for help. Um, if there is, we need to break it and reach whomever it may be. If it's Scott Wilson or it's my neighbor, uh, it's my nephew, whomever it may be, we've got to keep saying over and over and over, you're not alone. You want to chat? And does the chat go anywhere? Maybe they just needed a chat. Or in our case, a couple of weeks ago, we took a deep dive quickly. And maybe at the moment, I just needed that. And you gave it to me. <laughs> so, kudos to you, Rockstar. Thanks. Well, I have a tendency to go way deeper than what people typically are prepared to go. <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse. Uh, I hear you. So, you know, one of the things that I consistently hear on this subject. And, and you said I could be a victim or I could be a victor. And earlier on, and then you just referenced it again, you had a significant moment, a significant thing that happened to you in life. And you decided uh, during that Jerry Springer show, Jerry Springer show, that wasn't going to be you. We all have individuals in our lives and heck, I've even been there myself where um, they, they feel as though we feel as though, uh, Everything is happening to us and only us, right? Uh, my dad was that way. Uh, he was very much a victim often, and I love my dad. But, you know, as you mentioned before, we learn who we want to be and who we aspire to be, not just from watching the greatness in everybody, but also seeing the areas of opportunity and identifying what you don't want to be. And so, you know, many people that know me and have heard my story know that 
I got my humor and my gregarious nature from my father and I got my drive and, and, um, an initiative and desire to, to do something, um, from him as well. Only I got that attribute by seeing, you know, what I didn't want to do from him. So all that to say that, uh, my brother, uh, amazing guy years ago, one of his fundamentals is fantasy football. Like he's a guy that he's consistently in his head about the stuff that's not working. And so one of his fundamentals, the things that he finds solace in, his brain pattern interrupt is fantasy football. So he made it to the playoffs and uh, he's competing in the playoffs. And the first play of the game, his starting quarterback ranks his pinky and is out for the remainder of the game. And my brother text messages me immediately. And he says, see, I freaking told you, man, everything bad in the world happens to me and only me. I can't have anything, right? Right. And uh, I go, dude, like, seriously, you made the playoffs. Really? Like, and he goes, uh, <laughs> I said, is this really such a big deal to him? And he says, Paul, in, in, in a silo, it's not, right? It, it's just one thing. But it just feels like everything bad in the world happens to me and only be, I can't have anything. He says, I feel, I feel like I'm snake bitten all the time. And so I said, Chris, when you're consistently walking through weeds, expecting to find a snake, you're going to get bit. Meaning that the more you look for shit that's going to be negative and isn't going to happen, the more that that stuff finds you. Then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have you who looks for the positive nature in people and things. And uh, you had this defining moment that you didn't let define you in a negative light, but positive light. But then yet more tragedy has come your way and like significant things. You mentioned your nephew. How do you continue to knowing that you just shower people with love and kindness and positivity? And it seems like, you know, you get, you get that gut punched every now and again. How do you consistently stay the course and say this too shall pass? You know, it's just another thing. Uh, that's a loaded question. With <laughs> I, you know, I don't know if I had the magic answer, I'd put it in a book and print it and ship it out. You know, I, I just, I think the answer in a single word is to try. I just try. Mm. That's it. Um, I, a, a couple of things. I was handed an envelope in, uh, I think I was 24. My granddad passed away. And in the envelope, it was a letter addressed to me um, from him. And it was only a couple of words. I'm expecting you to do my eulogy. I want it to be on gratitude and not just gratitude for gifts. I went, shit. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, thankfully, I have some uh, wonderful family members that write for a living that helped write it. But it ultimately, I had to really think about it. And I do go back to that eulogy a lot is you have to say, oh, thank you for even the bully or the difficult times. You have to say, bless you for, or bless me. Thank, bless you for blessing me in this difficult moment. And I sound very cheeky when I say that, but I think you do have to thank for the difficult times. Um, I'll use a, a, the other example is um, my nephew, 19-year-old nephew was 
um, murdered a 13 months ago. And it's been very difficult on our family. And that's not so cheeky. And it certainly has been hard to say, thank you for the lesson, bless you for the lesson. Um, because there are days I'm just pissed off. Um, but there are also a lot of family members that look to you for support. And I think that you know when you can put your armor on and you have to know when to take your armor off. And it took me a couple of days to really cry it out. And I had to be okay with crying it out and not being so strong, so to speak. So um, I just try. That really is. I just try. Wow. It comes across as very seamless uh, and uh, strong, in my personal opinion. And a lot of people now look to you for strength uh, as you provide it to yourself. So um, when you're talking, I was reminded of a, a quote that I recently heard. If every moment was magical, then we wouldn't have magic moments. And so, of yeah, course... That's it. That, that's it. <laughs> um, of course, the gist of that or the premise is, you know, you're going to walk through the the shit. You're going to see the snakes. You're going to experience heartache. It's inevitable. Um, and that stuff makes you appreci- appreciate all the stuff uh, that is um, even more, you know? So thank you for opening your heart. Um, I'll leave you with this. I was on the gram, as the kids call it, the other day. Right. Message just randomly out of the blue from an individual from Ohio. And she says, uh, hi, Paul, I live in Ohio and the governor announced that medical offices can reopen this Friday. I work in one and that means our office will likely be opening beginning Monday. This has made me very anxious. Like I feel as as though there's a weight on my chest. I don't agree that it's safe to go back to life as we knew it. So what can I do? So I give her uh, a list of, of things in terms of, you know, listen, life isn't going to go back to the way that we knew it. And um, the goal of the stay at home order was never to eradicate the disease. We were always going to have to go out and be exposed. Once again, the level of the curve was really about trying to provide the healthcare system, an opportunity to ramp up resources and blah, blah, blah. So this is the message. She ultimately says, I also suddenly feel a deep sadness that all things have improved with everyone sheltering less crime, cleaner environment, increased kindness, time to do things that we've put off, will soon end and go back to the crappy life that we once had before. It was nice to have a break on my TV and news from the political madness that has been on it for like four years. Now we will get that back and everyone will forget about being together. So. That's heavy. It's very (laughs) heavy. And then the message was even heavier after she revealed that she took a whole bottle of pills several weeks ago and and all that stuff. Um, My response to her in the moment after a series of self-discovery questions was, life was only crappy to begin with if that's how you saw it. Mm -hmm. And we'll only go back to crappy life if that's what you want to see. Reality is whatever you make of it. You know, people are arguing a lot right now about facts. Where do I go for factual information? Facts is, is your perspective. Whatever you want to see is what you're going to see. You and I know that there is scientific facts that say that something supports something. However, 
you cannot change somebody else's experience in life and their belief system. And that said, you'll spend a lot of energy and a lot of frustration trying to employ your belief system upon others, where at the end of the day, all you could do is focus on what gives you strength. Focus on on your opinion and, and the love that you feel like if you throw out into the world, it'll ultimately come back. And you're somebody that I feel does that well. You're an individual that I aspire to be. I greatly appreciate you coming on the Fundamism podcast today. And uh, knowing that this is a very, very broad question, are there any last words, last items, things that are on top of your mind that you would love to get off your chest? Um. Yeah, actually, a couple funny things. Um, one, if you don't follow Tyron Matthew on Twitter, you have to. He manages his own. And that it's an, uh, really kind of the Dalai Lama of motivation comes to the intersection of um, comedy. And I'm telling you, I love it. It's one of my favorites. Um, the other being, I'm just so glad to have the opportunity um, uninterrupted time with Paul Long, one of the cool cats. <laughs> um, I enjoy the podcast. I really, really do. I told you that maybe a month or two ago when you kind of broached this with me is that's my time that I take when I go on runs or a long walk with the dogs um, and, and really listen to other people, uh, you know, their stories, their challenges and it's, you've really humanized um, some of the faces behind, let's say, a logo or um, a quote or a saying or somebody behind a microphone or an athlete. Um, and what that's done, at least for me, and I hope your other listeners, is reminded at the end of the day, we're all just kind of trying and we have our struggles and our challenges. And um, so, Thanks for having me and let me hanging out with the cool cat. <laughs> just trying. That's all we're doing. I'm just, <laughs> I'm right. just trying every day, sister. Just trying. Uh, oh, God love you. Thank reiterate you. Reiterate your endorsement of Tyron's Twitter feed. It is the best. I love it. Um, you know, they say don't read life into the haters. He embraces the haters. and then Totally. We'll back at you. That's I right. Favorite one, Jen. And I don't exactly remember what it was, but somebody was talking trash and he said something to the extent of, go ahead and go shit in your hand and high five your, I don't know what it was. <laughs> I, that would so be it. That would be so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just classic. Somebody brings up something, you know, just a rando play pass from, you know, 12 years ago. And he's like, hang on, let me pull out of the library this article that said I would be nothing. And then he says, let me just drop, drop chip bomb on you. And I'm like, boom, I love it. You have to have some sense of humor in embracing even the most difficult times. And I think that's what I love about my family the most when my nephew was killed was a lot of the funny stories. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to do his eulogy and the majority of it really was the humor. And thank you for bringing us um, lively fun um, in, in what can be dark times right now. And uh, I, I, I do think that um, from one tough story, there's got to be a humor or silver lining. And that gal from Omaha or Ohio, I hope she can find that. Um, that's kind of my wish 
is that whether it be your brother or Ohio gal, um, they can find maybe their blue lining or it may not be silver, but just a different color and black. Gosh dang it, Jen. I love you so much. Our relationship is just blossoming. Uh, it is. Many more times to follow. If somebody wants to learn more about Jen uh, or any of the uh, 501c3s that she holds near and dear to her heart, where do we go? Hopehouse.net is uh, for anyone seeking help and assistance that finds themselves in a, um, a, an abusive relationship or situation. And uh, you certainly can find uh, all the awesome stuff Tyron's going to be doing even as early as next week, which I'm very excited about. Uh, TyronMatthewFoundation.org. Um, part of KC.org. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you also have uh, the BMAFoundation.org. Um, yes. Uh, all the websites are awesome a plethora of information, whether it's $10 or an hour of volunteering, there's uh, all kinds of ways to get involved. And um, Paul Long, you're awesome. Um, Melissa Long, even more awesome. Um, Love you both. Well, uh, in closing, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Fundamentalism Podcast uh, listeners, if you didn't um, get a good idea of who Jen Nusbeck is in the last hour of conversation, just hear her close and the answer to the question, how do we learn more about you and the organizations that you care about? And she referenced four 501c3s and not a thing about herself. You are absolutely amazing. Uh, I look forward to connecting far more often and learning more about what Tyron's doing. Uh, we couldn't do all of this without the Fundamism listeners. So guys, thank you for your support. Uh, we wish you all the best. Everybody's going through something. Uh, quite honestly, somebody out there is going through something worse than you, and they're they're probably handling it just a little bit better. So gravitate towards the things that give you strength. Find your blue, silver, uh, and sometimes brown uh, lining, and ultimately this too shall pass. Go create some fun in your life today and in the lives of others. And until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Deuces! Deuces!